You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. God is our foundation, and we want to thank Him for His presence with us, and we want to invite Him to speak into our lives here this morning. So would you pray with me? Lord, thank you that you are the one true God, that you are the God who seeks us, who loves us, and who pursues us. And Lord, we ask that as we continue to worship you, as we seek you together, that you truly will reveal yourself to us, that you will speak to our hearts, that we will be able to see you hear you, and respond to what you have for our lives here this morning. Thank you. We love you. We continue to give this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And thank you so much, Sarah and worship team. So it is great, once again, to have all of you with us here this morning as we begin this new series in the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, you couldn't tell, but when I was off camera, I was, uh, I was wearing this because we're trying to be compliant with the new guidelines that have been given to us um, in this season of COVID. And so when you don't see any of us here on camera, we're all masked up and keeping our distance and, and what have you. And uh, this is my mask. This is the mask that I typically wear. And uh, I'm just going to put it on here for just a second to prove, you know, that it is my mask. It is. In fact, Sarah Bieri, our worship leader, said I look like a porch decoration with this on. I don't know what you think. Maybe we'll do a poll sometime about that. But that being said, I'm kind of getting tired of wearing these. And I bet you are too. In fact, I know there are a number of you who have to wear these or get to wear these in your place of work. And some of you spend a lot of time with one of these on. And I have a friend who's in a situation very, very similar to that. For his work, he has to wear a mask all day. And this friend of mine some weeks ago said, you know what, Jay, I am done with COVID. I'm done with it. And I think all of us probably understand the heart that's behind that. We're all probably ready to be done with COVID even though, unfortunately, COVID is not done with us. But it's interesting, the longer this goes on, as these weeks now have turned into months, how many of us are longing not only for this to be over, but to go back to what we would say normal life really is. We kind of long for it. We long for, we want things to go back to normal to not have to wear masks anymore, to not have our lives so turned upside down by this pandemic. And as I've thought about us starting this new series, I've been struck with the realization that I think especially because of this season that we're in as a world, as a country, as a nation, as a community, as a church family, we are uniquely positioned to enter the story of the Gospel of Matthew, and especially to enter this story of where we will start in this wonderful Gospel today, in Matthew chapter 3. Because you see, at this point in history, God's people were longing for something better. There was this deep longing for things to be different because they were under occupation by the Roman Empire. You see, when the Romans had come so many years before, they brought with them technology, 
aqueducts, culture, language, roads, and oppression. Life was brutally difficult in the Roman Empire. It was incredibly difficult, and the people longed for freedom. The Jewish people in particular wrestled with that occupation. It was analogous to what it must have been like in Europe during World War II in Nazi-occupied areas. The Romans were brutal. They, they absolutely quashed any type of rebellion. In fact, history tells us that there was so much unrest, there were a number of many revolts among the Jews themselves against Roman occupation. The people longed for things to be better. And it was this longing that was really fueled by waiting. If you'll think back with me to how the Old Testament ends, the last book of the Old Testament and the last verses in that book of Malachi give a special promise to the Jewish people. And it was a promise that they were waiting for. And this is, this is how the Old Testament ends. Remember, the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Not a real happy ending to the Old Testament, but it says that Elijah is going to come and that he is going to come and then the day of the Lord is going to come. And the Jewish people understood that the day of the Lord always meant salvation and judgment. So lock that away because we're going to come back to that here in just a minute. But it had been 400 years since these words had been given to them. And in that 400 years, Rome had come and they were in this brutal season, this brutal life of, of occupation by this violent, oppressive empire. And they wanted out. They longed for something better. And that's where we enter that gospel of Matthew today. It was in exactly this season where we now enter into Matthew chapter 3. But just real quickly, by way of overview, Matthew was written to a Jewish audience. And so there's going to be lots of Old Testament quotes and symbolism and allusions and inferences. In fact, in Matthew 3, right out of the gate, we'll see a quote from an Old Testament book. And the fundamental question that Matthew was unequivocally trying to answer and to prove was this. Is Jesus the Messiah, the King of the Jews? And the answer is, yes, he was. But if you'd like a really comprehensive, very engaging overview of this amazing gospel, you can get that through the Bible Project. I watched it myself. I encourage you to go watch it. But that's a very brief overview of where we're going to go. So the reason we're diving into Matthew 3 is we are saving Matthew 1 and 2 for our Advent series that will come during Christmas. So just to catch you up real quickly, Matthew begins with this genealogy of Jesus, where he basically shows that Jesus is a descendant of Abraham, he's a descendant of David, and therefore he is uniquely qualified to fulfill all the promises that were given to them by God. And then it describes the miraculous virgin birth of Jesus, and then it describes Jesus and Mary and Joseph fleeing for their lives to Egypt. And then many years later, they come back and they settle in this little town of Nazareth. And now we dive into Matthew chapter 3. And so let's look at this together. 
So it says this, in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, and this is our Old Testament quote, this is Isaiah chapter 40, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now John's clothes were made of camel's hair. And he had a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now there is a lot here. So let's begin to work our way through this. It begins to describe really the message of John the Baptist and the core theme, the core to his message is repent. It gets repeated several times. Well, what does that mean? Well, we'll come back to that. But he also begins to talk about the kingdom of heaven. And this is so significant and so important for us to understand. Because the kingdom of heaven, if you were to boil it down to a single statement, is God's people in God's place under God's power, under his reign and rule. And the kingdom of heaven is about Jesus coming And what we'll see as he goes, as Matthew describes Jesus' life, he will confront evil and he will restore God's reign and he will establish a new family and it will be revealed and fulfilled as it was talked about in the Old Testament that anyone can enter into God's family by faith through Jesus Christ. And he's saying the kingdom of heaven is near. This is God's divine rescue mission to restore the world to what it was always intended to be. And he will talk about this over and over and over again. And the kingdom of heaven, that is exactly where you and I want to be. Because that's all about the world the way God intended it to be. It's what the Bible describes as shalom. Everything the way God originally intended it. Which means no riots because there is no injustice. It means no pride, therefore no wars, no poverty, no pandemics, no death. It sounds like utopia, maybe even a fairy tale, but it is actually the future. It is a reality and it will come when Jesus returns again. But when he came the first time, as we're looking at what John the Baptist is is saying here, it was to announce the kingdom of heaven was coming, that it was near. 
And it says, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Okay, that, that's beautiful and that's poetic, but there's a reality there as well. When a king was visiting from a distant country or nation, they would literally prepare the way for him by straightening the roads. They would clear them, they would repair them, they would smooth them, they would level them because that's the way you greeted a coming king. And this king is going to come. So let's consider the messenger for a minute. Let's think about John. What, what an interesting description for him. He's this wild-eyed, bug-eating, hide-wearing guy. And it just seems so strange. But actually, what this is describing here is a simple life and a simple lifestyle. Many scholars believe that he dressed this way, he ate this kind of a diet to, to live a simple life as kind of a protest against overindulgence and, and materialism. But if you lived in the desert, this was really the kind of life people would live. It wasn't that extraordinary. But there's more here than just a simple life. For those of you who know your Old Testament, and especially for a, a Jewish audience who was listening to this letter or reading this letter, light bulbs would go on because this description here fits another Old Testament prophet. Some 500 years prior to this, if we go back to 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, it describes Elijah dressing this very same way. So now here is this prophet in John the Baptist who is proclaiming the kingdom of God who looks like Elijah, he sounds like Elijah, he dresses like Elijah, and he is Elijah in power and, and in a sense in his spirit and especially in his message. Jesus himself says so further on in Matthew and Matthew, Matthew chapter 11. This is the Elijah who was promised in Malachi that we saw when we first started our time here this morning, which is amazing. And his message is a message of salvation, but it's also a message of judgment. Look how he talks to the Pharisees and Sadducees. And just by way of noting, this was really representing the political and spiritual leadership of the nation. And you could not have two groups who were more different from one another. This would be analogous in our day and age to Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi getting together and saying, hey, there's this guy talking about this stuff. Let's get together and let's go check him out. I, that in itself would be a miracle, right? This is, this is pretty amazing that they're coming together to see who John the Baptist is and what his message is. And by the way he talks to them, it seems to tell us that they're not necessarily curious. They're there to challenge him. They're there to critique him. They're there to criticize and attack him. And he sees them coming and look what he says, you brood of vipers. Now, my friends, this is not a page out of the book of how to win friends and influence people. He's not making friends with this. He is confronting them. And the imagery here is really powerful. He says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And with this fire imagery that follows in the, in the next verses we'll look at, it has this idea of lighting a field on fire. And any farmer will tell you when a field is lit on fire, who are some of the first critters to come out? It's snakes. They're, they're one of the first animals to flee a field that's on fire. And that's this image here. He's, he's calling them a bunch of snakes. And he speaks to their ethnicity. And the reason he does is because their faith 
isn't in their God, it's in their religion, and ultimately it's in their ethnicity. And he reminds them of a very important truth, and you will remember this if you were with us from our Genesis series so many months ago, but if we jump back to Genesis 15, verse 6, how did Abraham enter the kingdom of God? Was it because he was a Jew that he entered God's kingdom? That he entered into right relationship with God? No, he was a pre-Jew. The Jewish nation eventually descended from him, but he wasn't a Jew when he chose to believe the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. He entered the kingdom by faith, not by his ethnicity. And that's John's point here, is you guys should know better. You're the teachers of Israel, and yet you have lost sight of what it means to enter the kingdom of God by faith. And then he talks about fire. And he talks the Holy, about the Holy Spirit and fire, which is really a fire of purification, a, f- a fire of empowerment by the Holy Spirit coming into our lives, which we'll talk about in just a bit. But there's also another fire here, a fire of judgment, a fire that consumes. And it's a very, very strong message. So what does all of this have to do with this reality of repentance? What does it mean to enter into the kingdom of God and to have the kingdom of God enter into you? Well, our worship team's gonna come and we are gonna sing about welcoming and inviting God's kingdom to come. And as we do so, we'll prepare ourselves to come back after this time of worship and to answer that question, what is repentance all about? How do we enter the kingdom? And how does the kingdom enter into us? So let's worship together. And that's exactly what Jesus does is he makes us alive. Thank you so much, worship team. That was so rich and so good for us to be able to worship together and to sing those words of truth. So how do you enter the kingdom of God? And how does the kingdom of God enter into you? Or to ask the question from the song that we just sang, How does Jesus make you alive? By turning to him. By receiving him into your life. God's word tells us that God is near. Over and over again, it says the Lord is near. He wants to have a deep, intimate relationship with us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to experience him. And he wants to get so close to us, he wants to come inside of us through his Holy Spirit. That's what it means to enter the kingdom and for the kingdom to enter into you and for Jesus to make you alive. You see, the word repent literally means to turn. And what that practically means from what John the Baptist was saying, from you can see from all the verses there that the heart of his message was was repent, repent, repent. What that means is basically to change our values, our loyalty, and our behavior. And that is a defining moment, but it's also an ongoing process. And that's going to run through everything that we're about to talk about. So what does it mean to repent? What does it mean to turn to God? Well, it means you turn away from your brokenness in order to do so. In church circles, in the Bible, we describe this and talk about this as sin. It permeates and stains our motives, our values, our thoughts, the things we do, the things we don't do. 
at our core, we are, we are sinful, broken people. There is this selfishness that runs its way through the core of who we are. And it comes out in many different ways. And what's really interesting to me, in fact, that's fascinating to me, is that our culture really struggles with this idea, this reality, really, of sin. Let's take this for a test drive. Are you a good person? Am I a good person? Apart from Jesus Christ, are you and I good people? I think most people, at least what the polls seem to tell us when this is asked over and over again of us as Americans, the vast majority of us say, yeah, I am a good person. But do you know what the number one New Year's resolution is year after year after year? I keep checking every year. Do you know what the number one resolution is for several years running now for us as Americans? It is to be a good person or its cousin, to be a better person. Could it be that we intuitively, at least many of us, understand that we're not all we could be or should be? Why is that? Why is it that despite thinking that we're good people, we recognize and realize, well, but we're not as good as we should be? Could it be that being a good person or striving to be a better person isn't a deep enough change? And I think the answer is absolutely yes. It doesn't get to the core of the issue, the core reality, the core problem. We don't need to be good people or better people. We need to repent. Or to put it another way, God doesn't want to make you a good person. And he does not want to make you and me a better person. He wants to make you a new person. A person who is alive, just like we just sang together. And that happens through repentance. Turning from our brokenness and turning towards God. And really, it starts with this reality of confessing our brokenness. Confessing our sin. We have to recognize it as such. And then we need to renounce it as such. And let's talk briefly about both of those realities, recognizing sin. You know, naming your sin actually disarms some of its power over you. You ever thought about that? Calling it what it is actually disarms it a little bit. Because for many of us, we struggle to call sin, sin for a variety of reasons. Honestly, there is sin in my life that I like, at least in the moment I like it. But ultimately, it doesn't fulfill me. Ultimately, it's not what God wants for me. And we live in this culture, if it wasn't hard enough in this battle with sin, that oftentimes it's something we like or enjoy, despite what it is and the brokenness that it is, in our culture as well, we also wrestle with what actually sin is. In fact, I am really the best one who's equipped to decide what's best for me. And, you know, as long as it's not hurting you and I think it's good for me, then that, that, it's probably okay. In fact, it's probably a good thing. But we are not the ones who decide ultimately what is sin and what isn't? That's God's place, not ours. 
That is his word. That is what he reveals to us through his truth, his word, his authority. That's how we're able to recognize sin and to call it what it is. Because in our brokenness, we will often take a bad thing and make it a good thing and think it's okay. So what is the authority in your life? What determines or defines sin for you? Is there anyone in your life who has permission to speak into your life? I'm reading a book called Dangerous Prayers by a pastor by the name of Greg Groeschel. And it's a great book. And basically what he does is he takes prayers of godly men and women from the Bible and, you know, explains those and then encourages you to pray those and to use those as a means to, to talk to God and to, and, to, and to experience him. And it's a really, really powerful book. And there's some amazing prayers in God's word. But one of the things he points out in one of those prayers is that if two or more people in your life put their finger on some kind of brokenness in you, then that's a pretty good idea that you need to steer into that and you need to address that. So do you have any truth tellers in your life who you have given permission to, to point out the brokenness in your life, not for the purpose of shaming you or making you feel guilty, but because they're trying to help you become who God has created you to be. They're trying to help you repent, to turn from that brokenness and to believe that what God has is better. Do you have anyone in your life like that? You know, we have this tendency to deny that sin is sin. How many times do we minimize it, ignore it, explain it, justify it, defend it? And by the way, where did you learn how to do that? You know, I'm reminded of a story from when I was a kid. When I was five years old, I remember going to the store with my dad. And I remember we went into the store and I really wanted a pack of gum. And I asked my dad, dad, can I have gum? No, dad, please, I really want gum. You know, the whole shooting match, no. And so somehow, I don't remember the exact details, but somehow when he wasn't looking, I managed to grab that gum and to shove it into my pocket. And we went home and... We lived out in the country and I was out on the other side of our house and there was no one out there. And I started just chewing this gum and, you know, stuffing my mouth with this gum. If one stick was good, then the whole pack must be better. And so I'm shoving the whole pack of gum into my mouth and around the corner comes my dad and here's all these wrappers around me on the ground. And he says, he actually asks a question. He doesn't say, he asks me a question and he says, what are you doing? Now, do you remember from Gary's sermon last week when he said, how often when God asks us a question, is it a question to lead us into confession? And so he asked me this question. And I say nothing with all these wrappers around me. I mean, really? And of course, he puts two and two together and realizes what has happened. And so we go back to that store and he calls the manager and the manager comes 
And I'll never forget looking that manager in the eye and confessing what I had done to him. And when we talk about confession, we're really talking about calling sin what it is, naming it. And I said, I stole this gum. And he asked me if I was sorry. And I said, yes, I apologized. And there was restitution made. I, out of my money, paid for that gum. And I learned a really important lesson that day. For starters, there's a brokenness in me that I need to constantly do battle with by choosing to turn from it and to turn towards God. And I need help in doing that. We need each other to do that. You see, when we confess, we, we tell God and we tell others when it's appropriate, what, what we've done. In the New Testament, in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we talk to each other. James chapter 5 says that we are to confess our sins to one another. There's a power in that when we do that, and there's a freedom that we can find in doing that. Because the reality is, a fresh start, this transformation, this change is absolutely possible. It's walking in the reality of life change. That's what repentance is all about. In, in your notes there, it says producing fruit. And remembering what John said, he said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So how do you do that? Because in fairness, at this point, what we've been talking about kind of sounds like willpower. But it's so much more than that. It's not just about willpower. It's about spirit power. What did John the Baptist say in, in this message? He said that Jesus would come, that one would come who would baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. What he's saying is that God himself would come into us through the power of his Holy Spirit to give us the power, the enablement to live the life of blessing that he calls us to and ultimately that we're all looking for. God gives us the power to walk away from sin and to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. But I'm not sure we always believe that. And there are many who do not have that perception of God. There's a book that I've read that we as an elder team have read. In fact, for any new elders who join our team, we have a really a library of books that we want them to, to read if they haven't before they join our team. And one of those books is called True Faced or The Cure. And in there, they draw this analogy, this picture of this cesspool of sin that is, that is my sin or your sin, our brokenness. And through, you know, trying to be a better person and trying harder and willpower, we just actually continue to keep adding to it because that's not what brings transformation. And of course, God is on the other side of that cesspool in many of our minds, kind of shaking his head at us, disappointed. You know, here we go again, you know, and he's, he's over there, you know, hoping we'll get it right. That, that is not the biblical picture or an accurate picture of God, or even what's being described in this very passage of the power of the Holy Spirit by John the Baptist. Isn't a better picture of God standing there with us, looking at that same cesspool and saying, you want to do something about that? Shall we do something about that? Can I help you? That's a more accurate picture of God and of the power of his Holy Spirit and how he helps us in our repentance. He enables us through his power 
to choose to trust and obey. Because the reality is, if you know Jesus Christ, if you've received him into your life as your Lord and Savior, your strongest desire and your deepest desire are two different things. Often in the moment, our strongest desire can be broken. It, it can be sinful and it feels overwhelming and all powerful. But the reality is if you know Jesus, the deepest desire you have, what you most want to do is to trust and obey God. And his Holy Spirit can meet you in that moment and help you tap into that deepest desire instead of the strongest one. Because you see, my friends, God's incredible love for us, this free gift of grace that he gives us is freedom from sin. It's not a license to sin. It is actually the escape from it. And it's so important that we remember that. Because there's a warning in John's message, a very clear warning. And it's a warning that we need to listen to and that we need to do business with. You see, the reality is scripture declares that every day, one of us, all of us rather, will stand before God and be accountable to him for how we've lived our lives. Did we enter into right relationship with him through Jesus Christ? Did we respond to his incredible love and grace and his desire to bless us? Or did we just slap his hand away? Did we say, I don't need you? Did we say, I don't care? Because we need to understand there's a huge difference between hearing and listening. I learned this early on in my marriage and I am still learning it. My wife will tell you, rightfully so. Jamie will tell me and I will hear, when you go to the store, can you get milk? Can you get eggs? And I get $25 um, out of the machine. Okay, great. Go to the store, uh, milk, eggs. Um, Yeah, I better get home. Get home. Where's the $25? Um, I didn't know you wanted me to get $25. Did you hear me? Well, yeah. Did you listen to me? Uh, No. There's a huge difference between hearing and listening. And many of you, maybe all of you, have heard this good news before. And you've heard this message of warning that is also part of the good news before, but you haven't ever really acted on it. My friends, please listen to the hope in this message, but also listen to the warning. This is not something you can blow off. This is not something you should continue to put off. This is not something you should ignore. You need to respond. Because you see, the kindness of God is intended to lead us to repentance. It's not a license to continue on in our brokenness. God gives us chance after chance after chance because he wants us to be in right relationship with him. He wants to bless our lives. No one wants to bless our lives more than this amazing God. And some of you are struggling to believe that and that's exactly the problem. So will you choose to believe that the kindness of this God is meant to lead you away from brokenness and into his presence? Some of you will remember this story. I've shared it in the distant past. It's okay if you don't. But this is a story of repentance. And as I was reading it again, I I was moved. 
And I thought, okay, if I moved, then you probably will be too, because this really captures a lot of what we've been talking about here in this amazing passage. This was written to me by one of our folks here who calls grace home. And by the way, when God does something in your life, when he answers a prayer, when you learn something, I always love to hear about that. You email me. And if I ever share it like I'm about to with this, I'll get your permission to do so before I do so. I have this person's permission. But this is just one of the many ways that God works. She says this, I have held Luke chapter six as the bedrock for my life as it changed some 10 years ago. And Luke chapter six is about loving your enemies in Luke's gospel. Goes on to say this. This happened when my husband of 22 and a half years finally left with his mistress and left our family high and dry. I really began to understand that it was easy to love friends, but man, is it hard to love your enemies. As I went along the journey of the divorce, there were many times I would remember, you need to bless your enemy. I then started to think of what fruit of the spirit that my ex-husband was lacking and I would pray for that fruit to come into his life. I know, I knew rather that it was going to be really hard to hate him if I was praying for him. I tried to teach the children this, but I'm not sure they all understood the meaning of love your enemy. But today I'm so thankful for the understanding that we are called to love like Christ. I am not near to what Christ's love is all about, but he has been a very clear example of how to love. And today, after seven years in the courts and way too much money given to lawyers, I can honestly say that the Lord gave my heart a complete healing. And my children have seen the Lord's work in my and their father's lives. Now listen to this act of repentance. I am not sure if their father loves Jesus, but my children's father has since apologized to the children for the awful things he did, and he has apologized to me. I know that I forgave my ex many years ago, but loving my enemy is what healed my heart. And I cannot thank the Lord enough for healing years of pain. So as our worship team comes, and as we sing about this reality of God's kindness leading us to repentance, what is your story this morning? Is your story a repentance story? Have you called your sin what it is? Are you struggling with something this morning and you just need to confess it? You need to call it what it is to God and turn back to him? And for some of you, it may mean that for the first time, you choose to turn towards this God, to enter his kingdom, to have his kingdom enter into you, by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior into your life. His kindness to you is intended to lead you to repentance. So will you repent this morning? Let's think about that and let's sing about that together. He is the only king. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. So will you turn to him this morning? with whatever that means for you. For some of you, it means a defining moment decision to choose to turn from sin and brokenness and to enter into life-saving relationship through Jesus Christ. For some of you, repentance is a daily decision. It's, a, well, for all of us, really, but it's a decision 
that we need to make now. And in the spirit of that, we really are in this together, in this struggle with sin, in this ongoing process of turning from that and repenting and turning to God, we would love to pray with you in any way that we can this morning. So if you're watching this during our 845 hour immediately following this service, we will have a Zoom prayer time that will appear on the screen there and you can see the QR code to, to get in there and to or the information to get there. And if you're watching this at any other time, on our website at the bottom of our homepage is a prayer link. You click on that and we would love to pray with you. If there's something that you're fighting with in your life, brokenness you're going toe-to-toe with, we would love to, to pray with you. This is a safe place. We're all in process, and we're all in the process of repenting and daily following Jesus. But there is nothing better than knowing him. And this king has come, and this king is going to come back again. And there is a, a beautiful psalm that I found that I'd like to leave us with here this morning. This is Psalm 47, and the psalms are poetry, their songs, and their truth, all at the same time. And this is what this says. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Shout to God with cries of joy. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And my prayer for you is that he is your king and that he is your Lord here this morning. So now go and live for him. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.